It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. So I gave a title to this called Continuing to Whistle. And sort of a subtitle in there, even when the brook dries up. Now that will trigger some thoughts, uh, especially as you guys have been reading through the the scriptures when you get to uh, Kings and you you start working through the, the stories of Elijah and Elisha. There's one particular story, and that is uh, when Elijah is led by God to, in a sense, pray that the heavens would no, lo- no more give forth rain. And it, it, it's a pretty intense uh, situation in Scripture, but it leads to all sorts of drama. You know, I've thought about it many times that when obedience to God would actually bring inconvenience to you as well. In other words, what Elijah is doing when he prays that there would be no more rain in Israel, he's in Israel. And so as a result, he actually is going to be experiencing the difficulties that he is being led of God to initiate. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought that through, but it's not just like he's praying judgment and the position of the prophet is like, this is fun. You know, I can see God's judgment come on these terrible people. This is the days of Ahab and Jezebel, and it's like, boo. They're horrible people. I mean, some of the worst people have recorded in history. Ahab and Jezebel, this is their time, and this is judgment upon their nation. But guess who's in the nation? The very guy who's praying that God would basically bring judgment. And so that leads to a whole series of events that we're going to walk through uh, today. But I want to sort of draw out this one element, and that is, I want you to put yourself in this story today. I want you to walk through it, and I want you to ask your soul how you're doing, because there's a way and a disposition in which we are supposed to handle all trials, all difficulties, and it's usually different uh, than the way that we usually do, naturally. So spiritual whistling, if I was going to give a definition, because I don't know that the scriptures talk a lot about whistling. Technically, I didn't even do a study on it. I was just doing a placeholder concept. Because whistling, if you're going to whistle, usually there's a lightheartedness to it. There's a rest in your soul. And usually you stop whistling the moment stress comes. And so, now I'm not a whistler. I I would be more of a singer or a, a dancer. I'm a terrible dancer, but when I'm in a really good mood, I'll start doing some dance things. Uh, And that's usually a signal that there's a rest in my soul. And so I notice when I stop doing that, you know, and I have, like we had a Keith Green song, uh, walk and talk, walk and talk, tell the world about it, say I'm standing on the rock, I'm gonna walk and talk with Jesus, stand with the Lord, oh yeah. So when a song like that, comes on in the background, if I'm in a whistling sort of mood, I'm going to start dancing around and poking my kids and tickling them. And, but if I'm in a serious, more sober mood, that song could be on and my kids will sort of look at me sort of like, daddy's serious. You see the difference? In other words, there's a difference. What happened? Same song, but different response in daddy. And that 
disturbs me if it ever happens. In other words, okay, why am I so serious right now? Did God change? Did, is he off the throne? Is he unable? Is his arm short? Does he no longer have grace to give? What's wrong? Well, the problem isn't in God. It's, it's in me. And so there's things that cause us to stop whistling. And that's what I really want to touch on today because could you imagine if nothing would ever stop our whistling? If we were able to function as Elijah does in these stories, which is so <laughs> otherworldly, it's all I could say, which is why you see in James who says, Elijah is made of the same stuff we are, guys. Remember James 5? It's saying, hey, he, he, this, this man prayed and look what happened, but you're made of the same stuff. Okay, in other words, you can live with the same authority, the same power. So spiritual whistling. What you do when you have faith and you know that you know that you know God cannot and will not fail you. See, the thing is, it's not that we don't know that he cannot fail us. It's that we don't know that we know that we know that he cannot and will not fail us. And we just grow vulnerable. And one of the first signals is our lightheartedness, that one dimension that a spiritual man or woman uniquely possesses, which is they could be in prison and sing a song. They could be carrying a cross and recognize they're about to go into the presence of Jesus. And they can turn outward. And they can actually have joy in the midst of the worst of circumstances. Well, why would that be robbed from us? If we can have it in prison cells, we should be able to have it in daily life, don't you think? You see, this is a there's a delicate balance in our soul. So I want us to imagine being Elijah's servant for the day. So this is like our role. We're, we're being cast for it, and we're going to do uh, some, uh, some dress rehearsal uh, today. You see, and you could say, does Elijah have a servant? And what's interesting is all these stories I'm going to go through, it never mentions a servant, except for after the stories are done, because uh, I'm going to go through mainly First Corinthians, First First Corinthians, First Kings, seventeen, and then part of eighteen. But then this is after Elijah is called down fire from heaven, and this is when he's going to be on Mount Carmel. He's going to bend and pray. Uh, remember, he prays seven times, and he sends his servant. So it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There, there's a servant there. Now the servant doesn't show up in any of the stories, but then suddenly he has a servant just out of nowhere. You know, sort of like after he calls down fire from heaven, the servant steps forward and goes, I will serve you. So, I mean, all we know is that Elisha had a servant. Remember that? Alas, master. Uh, remember that whole scene? And then he blinds the Syrians. Uh, so there's, I mean, maybe Elijah had a servant the whole time. So that's us. So we're going to play that role. We're going to be the servant in this story. And we're going to look at everything through the servant's eyes. And the servant's always a little more uh, vulnerable and struggles with the faith side, whereas Elijah and Elisha just sort of have it together. Yeah, it's sort of like Jesus. And so we're like the servant in this story, and we're watching how Christ responds. There's a proper response, and we want to rise to it. We want to be inspired by it today. So it's time to try out that whistling. So whistling situation number one. When the supernatural brook and raven delivery service are drying up. So, and I'll, I'll give a little backstory here. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. 
And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So we have a drama that is unfolding and it's going to unfold for over three years. This is quite the, the story and it's a, it's a signal of judgment uh, to the people of Israel. Ahab being the wicked king, his wife Jezebel, uh, the wicked, wicked, I think she needs two adjectives uh, in front of her name, uh, queen. And uh, it is deserving, there's no doubt about it. But what's interesting, and this is what I said at the beginning, is that Elijah is in the midst of it. And yet God has a plan for him, just like he does for all of us. In the midst of a generation that is crooked and depraved, he desires to care for us. And there's really nothing to fear if you're Elijah, right? I mean, you could look at the story and go, oh, he'll be taken care of, he's God's servant. And you'd be right. And God even says, I'll tell you where to go. Why would he need to hide? Well, Jezebel is going to go on a hunting spree. And she is going to kill every prophet that she finds. In fact, Elijah is going to become convinced that every single prophet, in fact, he may be accurate, that every other prophet in Israel is actually killed. Now, one of the things we know from a point later on is that God is going to say, you know, hey, look, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 that have not bent their knee to Baal uh, nor kissed him. Okay, so we know that there's others that are believers in Jehovah, but it's possible that every other prophet is wiped out. Okay, so this is a hunting spree, and so he is hiding. And he's a very significant character. He has obeyed God, he has stepped forward, and yet there you are, the servant, and guess who you're hanging out with? You're, you're not in the most pleasant of circumstances here, okay? You're in a very dark time in all of Israel, and you're hanging out with a guy who has a death warrant uh, on him. And so, first of all, I don't know how you're doing, if you're doing whistling, uh, just knowing that there is a drought that has been forecasted, okay? This is, this is not a, a pleasant thing. So, I'm going to introduce you to four levels of difficulty, and if you've heard the message, Encouragedly Cheerful, which most of you I know have, if not all of you, then you're going to recognize these. Four levels of difficulty. Level one is the shucks. okay? These are daily types of things we deal with, and usually nominal, but they can really get to us, okay? Most of us are failing, and we stop whistling because of shucks. small things in our life uh, that throw us off. Level two difficulties, the gulps. Level three difficulties, the wowzers. And level four difficulties, we just call those Omaha beaches, okay? These are the moments that truly prove a man. And very, very few people on earth ever whistle in an Omaha beach. So when does your whistling stop? So you're the servant of Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite. And you have some challenges. First of all, you are hiding by the brook Kareth with your master. And uh, you are being fed by ravens. Okay, now I don't know what the sanitary uh, levels are to being fed by ravens. That would be a, a very unique uh, thing to go through, especially if you came straight out of a season of being dairy-free, sugar-free, gluten-free, and then it's like, you don't know what these ravens are bringing. And, you know, they could be, you know, grabbing a little food from a carcass here and bringing it to you. And you're like, okay, <laughs> I mean, is this on my diet? 
I mean, so you can immediately see some, uh, some problems that the, you as the poor servant are already having. But we'll just call these aw shucks. The raven is late uh, by 15 minutes with the breakfast drop-off. Okay, now you might be struggling right there. It's like, wait a minute, I thought we had a plan here. He's always come at 9 a.m., and it's 9.15. Okay, so a lot of us get thrown off by small things in life. But you are being trained. You are being trained to be a whistler. And so you look over at Elijah, and he is never disturbed by the fact that the raven is 15 minutes late. It'll come, dear servant. It'll come. Rest. Keep whistling. Uh, At level two difficulties, the gulps, the raven drops off your dinner, and a wolf jumps out of the woods and steals it. So God supernaturally supplies something, and then a wolf jumps out of nowhere and steals it. How could God allow that? And uh, Elijah says, here, take mine. And he keeps whistling. You see, you're disturbed very easily. There's little things that happen, and it's like you would think that your world just came to an end. I mean, the wolf, it scared you a bit. Okay, you're a little jittery, and, you know, just knowing that there's a wolf nearby, you know, sort of makes you a little uneasy. Stole your food. Okay, by the way, just a reminder, that food was given to you supernaturally. Isn't it amazing? Everything that's happening is supernatural, but you're still jittery, and you're, you, you notice that your whistling stops very quickly. Uh, does it stop at the level three difficulties, the wowzers? Rumor reaches you that Queen Jezebel is seeking to, oh, to kill. Kill is missing out of the line. To kill your master. And guess who you're hanging out with? Yeah, Queen Jezebel has authority. I mean, basically, she has authority over the king, too. She has Ahab in her back pocket. So she has control over all the military forces of all of Israel, and she is sending out everything. I mean, to scour the entire land, to find, to hunt, and to kill Elijah the Tishbite. And you're his servant. I mean, how you doing? You still whistling? Or how about level four difficulties, the Omaha beaches? This is a hard one. I don't know how you're handling this, but you have a brook, and every day it gets a little thinner, a little thinner, and a little thinner. And God is supernaturally supplied for you, but one day, suddenly the brook dries up, and the ravens stop dropping off food. Doesn't that just disturb you a little to have that which was supernatural that entire line of supernatural provision just so sudden one day just not be there you see many of us in life have seasons where god walks us through and he brings us to a brook kareth he says i'm going to provide for you but we don't have an understanding that there are seasonal transitions And that though something is drying up here, it does not mean that God doesn't have something for you over here. But it's hard for us to see a brook dry up. It really is. And our whistling stops. Meanwhile, Elijah is over there without food. He has, I mean, he sees the same brook, but he's whistling. What, how could he be whistling right now? Doesn't he see that our brook has dried up and the ravens didn't show up this morning or this evening? I mean, how can we survive like this? And you immediately go into panic mode. You go into anxiety. So whistling situation number two, when you are down to one handful of flour and a little bit of oil left in a jar. It's interesting. These stories just go boom, 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 one after the other. So Brooke dries up. Elijah is still whistling, you know, and he's sort of packing up his suitcase. And uh, you're, as the servant, you're staring at the brook woefully. Like, that brook, I had some good times, I had some good drinks. And then, where are the ravens when I need them? 
You know, sure, what they drop off is usually not gluten-free. But you know what? It was still good food. How am I going to survive? And so woe is you. So now you have a whole new challenge. Then the word of the Lord came to him. So remember, Elijah is just sort of like, it'll be okay, dear servant. Keep whistling. And then the word of the Lord, sure enough, comes and says, arise, go to Zarephath. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And Elijah sort of looks over and says, see? See, servant? There's a reason why we can keep whistling. God will supply. And so you're like, oh, okay. And you're drying your tears and, and, and you stand up. And now let's ask a new series of questions. When does your whistling stop? So at the moment you're thinking, okay, so there's more provision, right? We're going to be taken care of. We're going to be okay. And Elijah just looks at us, of course we will. God always takes care of his children. So level one difficulty is the aw shucks. Well, that's a long walk to Zarephath. And I haven't had something to eat and drink all day. Okay, how are you going to handle that? Okay, you have provision, but you have to walk all the way to Zarephath to get it? I mean, come on, life should be easier. The moment you look at life through a self lens is the moment you begin to lose your whistling. Boom, right there. Level two difficulties, the gulps. Wait, wait, Elijah. Did you say that it's a widow woman that's supposed to supply for us? Wait, wait a minute here. We should think this through. Widows have no provision. Their supply, the entire structure of Israel is set up where the men are doing the providing. And so if it's a widow, that means she's dependent upon the system, the culture, the, the, the goodness of the other people around them, unless she has a son. If she has a son, then the son can maybe go and work. This is a widow with a young boy. In other words, she has a son, but he's not old enough to be doing anything. Level three difficulties, the wowzers. So, uh, God, this widow is uh, not doing so hot. Are you sure we're at the right place? You see, this widow, uh, I'll see if I can give you a little backstory here. This widow is not doing so hot, okay? She is, actually, when Elijah the Tishbite and you, the servant, approach her, her place, she is collecting sticks at the time, and she's ready to prepare a fire to cook her last meal to eat with her son and then die. Because all she has is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil left in her jar. And she can make one cake of food and then die. She has nothing more. And yet God has commanded a widow woman to provide for Elijah. So could you imagine being Elijah's servant? It's like, this is a bad situation. <laughs> There's no way that that lady can supply for us. There's no way. And I mean, one of my favorite things, and this story is so profound because if you think about Elijah being symbolic of the mighty prophet Jesus showing up at our house, and we're the widow woman, and we have been commanded to provide for the glory of God, to literally supply for him, how I have nothing. And so she literally... Has, you know what Elijah asked for? He says, bring me a cup of water. What would be scarce in that day? Water. And so he asked for a cup of water. And then he says, oh, and by the way, could you bring me a cake of food? And she says, you need to realize that's all I have left. All I have is a little flour and a little oil. I was preparing it to eat it with my son and die. He basically says this, bring it to me. 
That is one of the most profound and preposterous thoughts you could ever have. That the prophet is going to show up at a widow woman's house. You know how rude this is? And say, I want basically your last water, the most prized commodity in all of Israel. Then I want the food that you were going to eat. Feed me first. What? And if you do, your flour will not run out and your oil will never run dry. So you could take whichever position you want. You could be the servant in this situation or you could be the widow and both of them <laughs> have some whistling challenges because it's an issue of faith. The question is, do you believe your God? So you're hanging out with Elijah or you could say it, Jesus. You're hanging out with the mighty prophet. He's whistling. He doesn't seem to be concerned about any of this. Oh, well, there's plenty of flour. There's plenty of oil. We'll be fine. There's only one handful of flour. There was only one little bit of oil left in that jar. There's no way we can all live off of this. Watch what God will do. Level four difficulties, the Omaha beaches. This widow is down to her last bit of water, her last bit of oil, and her last bit of flour. And this is where God calls us. God's calling us here. So, you're a Christian. The story we're going through is our story. When you obey God and you're willing to do the hard things, God will lead you to a brook Kareth. He will lead you to the widow's house in Zarephath. I don't want to go there. I want to go to a place with plenty. And yet you are at a place of plenty. It's just a place that doesn't on the outside appear to be plenty, which is why it demands faith. The brook Kareth had everything you needed didn't it? There was a brook, uh -huh, but it was constantly getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, but you had everything you needed the whole while you were there, didn't you? Yes. And the ravens, did they feed you? Yes, they did. One arrived 15 minutes late though, and I had a one meal stolen by a wolf, but you were fed, right? Yes. Okay, now when you were at the widow's house, did you lack? No, I didn't. You see, it's, when we acknowledge it, we had plenty. I always call it the, uh, the, the fountain of the spring, I'm sorry, the aquifer. Well, there's an aquifer, there's a massive aquifer over the Midwest, like right where we're at right now. Just tons of water down there. Can you see it? No. You might not have even known it was there. However, faith, when you find out and someone says, there's an aquifer beneath you, yet there's this little puddle right here at your foot. And, and God says, and there's your provision. Yet it taps into the aquifer. So, yes, you only have a little, you know, for a cup full of water right now, but guess what? The moment you take that cup, it fills up. And so as much as you need is always there. But we would prefer to have Lake Michigan. We want, we want the huge evidence before us to see the provision of God. Instead, he says, no, the way that the Christian works is I give them far more, but it's hidden. It's, you see, the brook Kareth is a picture of the life that we've been called to of faith. It's like, do you trust me? I will feed you there. But God, all the wild animals are leaving town in a drought. Okay, they're going where there's water. And so as a result, you have less and less food in a situation like that. Do you trust to hang out at the brook Kareth, where it seems like there is less and less with every passing day? And then to go to a widow's house to call, be called to a very specific place like that, that, where there's nothing, and yet, is there nothing? 
No, everything that you will need will be supplied. Whistling situation number three. I don't know how your whistling is doing. Some of you stopped whistling at the very beginning of the message. I want you to recognize that God has given us grace. He's given us everything we need to whistle throughout all of these things. See, I don't know if you sort of see it on Elijah's face. The guy's a whistler. He's going around and he seems to be even enjoying this stuff, whereas the rest of us are really struggling. As the servant, it's like, alas, master, she doesn't have anything to supply for us. Alas, master, this is a really bad idea. The brook is drying up. In other words, we see it all according to the natural. We need to mature into more of the Elijah mindset. Whistling situation number three, when the one source of hope dies. So you're going to have to transfer over from the two positions, being the servant and being the widow in this one, because both are a, ser- are a picture of the, of the role we are in. Imagine you're the widow just for a second. I know it's hard for me to move you from being the, the servant over to being a widow. It's quite a different uh, position. But the widow, imagine that she can somehow make it through this. Imagine that Elijah is right and that her oil and her flour will not, go, uh, will not disappear. Okay. Imagine that he's right. What is her hope? Her hope is her boy. This boy is sort of like Mary of Bethany's spike nard. Because if her son can grow up, that son can provide for her, protect her in her old age. She has one hope in this world. And Elijah the prophet shows up at her house. It's like if there was ever a time for everything to be stabilized and to be stronger, instead it gets weaker. So now she has, if we're going to include you, the servant, in there, she has four mouths to feed instead of two. Does that sound like good math? It's like, this is a bad situation if you're looking at it from the widow's eyes. But it's like, okay, so now I'm taking care of a prophet, Lord. Okay, I'm, I'm really doing something important here. I would expect that you'll kick in and help me in other areas. Instead, what happens? Her son gets sick. I mean, this is right when Elijah shows up. This is just, this, is, this isn't fair. So are you still whistling in this story? Or did you stop whistling the moment you heard that the son got sick? It's like, wait, 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 the son got sick? That's not right. Whistling stops. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. Oh, no. Say it isn't so. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. That is, I've quoted that line many times. That is one of the most odd ways of saying that someone died I've ever heard. The sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Okay, that's one way you could say it. So when does your whistling stop? At level one difficulties, the ah shucks? Wow, the young lad has a really bad cough. You know, have you ever heard one of those real deep hacky coughs? Yeah, this guy's not doing well, right? But you just sort of notice it. I mean, this is, remember, this is your, the widow's future. This is her hope. Level two difficulties, the gulps. Hmm, that's not good. The young lad is coughing up blood. How about the wowzers? Oh, no! The young lad is turning blue. Call 911. The Omaha Beach. The young lad is uh, dead. We got a problem here, guys. So what kind of blessing is this to the house of the widow woman? You show up and you ask for her food. The one stability she would have in life dies. You know, up to this point, there's, uh, there's never been someone that has been raised from the dead. 
in Scripture. And so we have no precedent for this. So when someone dies, they die. Elijah says, leave me alone with the lad who is dead. And then he, I think this is the one, he lies down on top of him and breathes into him and the guy comes back to life, right? You see, did you stop whistling? You do know that it's Elijah that's with you, right? Or maybe I should say it for us. You do know that it's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that you're serving. That you're serving. That if he leads you to the brook Kareth, he will supply for you there. That if he leads you to the widow's house, he will supply for you there. And I know though it would appear that all is lost and your son is sick, God is in control. You can keep whistling, even when it gets dark, even when it looks bad. You need to recognize that our God is in control. Whistling situation number four. When only 16 barrels of water are left in the entire land of Israel. Now, I'm speculating here, okay? Now, there's nothing in Scripture that is going to confirm this. All I know is that right before this, Ahab is in desperate straits because of the lack of water. Okay, so he's actually, they're, they're going out and, and they're trying to do whatever they can to solve this riddle, to see if there's any green grass out there where their livestock can go to because they're going to lose everything. Okay, because it's been over three years. We're in a bad strait. So imagine you're the, the servants uh, with uh, Elijah in this situation. And Elijah has the audacity to say, you know, hey, tell Ahab that I'm ready to meet with him. It's like, you do know he wants you dead. Yeah, he's not going to kill me. I'm the only one that can bring back the rain. Uh, and he didn't say that, but th that's, that's the concept here. And it's true. Eli Ahab has to be very delicate. And what does Elijah say? I want you to call 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashtaroth, and I want you to bring them all up to Mount Carmel. We're going to have a test. And now if you're the servant, you're going to be thinking, this is a bad idea. You know, I see no reason because he's the, it's one prophet against 850 the odds are really bad, plus you're exposing yourself to Ahab, Jezebel, and all the wicked regime. It's a bad idea. So, but it gets worse, guys. So Elijah makes a test. It's basically, we'll both offer a sacrifice unto our God. You can offer unto Baal, we'll offer unto Jehovah, or I'll offer unto Jehovah. The God that answers by fire, he's God. Do you agree? And so all day long, the Baal prophets are, you know, cutting themselves, dancing, doing all their thing, and nothing. It actually says Elijah mocked them. He's one guy against 800 or 850 prophets, and he mocks them? I mean, who does that? Could you imagine the servant is like, you might want to tone that down. Yeah, we really don't want to antagonize right now. And so, but here's where the, the rub really comes. I wanted to see if you're whistling. There's like, let's just figure that there's 16 barrels of water that are hanging out over here, and they represent all the water that is left in all of Israel. And so you can just imagine, this is in my imagination, if we were to do the movie version of this, I have Elijah saying something to Ahab, and he says, I want you to collect all the remaining water in Israel and bring it up to Carmel. All of it. All of it? All of it. You want water back in this land? We're going to give up every single bit of what we currently have. So this is the prized commodity in Israel. 
And he brings it up. Now it's Elijah's turn to show who Jehovah is. And what is Elijah going to ask for? Just like he came to the widow woman and he says, bring me a cup of water. What is he going to say to the nation of Israel? Bring me your water. Whoa. We're about to see a principle of how God works in our life. What do we want? We want the abundance of rain, but we want to hold on to what we have. We want God to add to it instead of letting go of what we have by faith and trusting that what he replenishes it with is so much greater. This is the Mary of Bethany principle. This is the principle of seeing the treasure hidden in the field, going and selling all so that you can purchase it. This is the principle of the kingdom of heaven. You want the abundance of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you have to give up your life as you now know it. You're holding on to something. That's why you're stopping whistling. You see, you're holding on to your brook, your raven's meal. You're holding on to your cup of water, your last bit of flour, your last bit of oil. And God says, I will do something in your life that will so utterly and thoroughly shock your soul if you will allow me to be God in your life. God moves when we let go. The whistling can continue when you know this, when you know that it never runs dry. You know that even if you gave up those 16 barrels of your last bit of water, that you're not going to be shortchanged on water. But do you know that? Because there's been a drought for over three years. There has been no rain for over three years. What's your experience telling you? There's no rain. There's no water. This is all we have. And God says, you want water? Give up what you have. So, okay, I mean, we're the servant in this situation. How, how are we doing? And he, Elijah, put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water. Remember I said, imagine we have 16. Okay, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So we have still, what, four barrels, according to me, that are, that are still lingering here in all of Israel. I mean, could you imagine what this would be like? Dumping water on an altar. That's not water that you get back, okay? It's not like you're putting it in a tub you can say, okay, we're just moving it from a barrel to a tub. And then we can move it back from the tub to the barrel, to my mouth. In other words, this is like dumping it into the earth. It's going to be lost. This looks like an extravagant waste. And yet, who is the one that can bring back water to Israel? The very guy who's asking for the water. Come on, dump it. Dump it. Now, that doesn't show any of the human emotion in this situation. It doesn't show any of the tension in what the Israelites would have been feeling. It doesn't show what you as the servant are going through. It's like, ah, no, you can't ask for that. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And then there was, this, this is where my other four come in. Oh, we got four more over there. What do we do with that? So he also filled the trench with water. <laughs> Dump it all, guys. You have anything remaining? Get it out. All of it. Yep. You can't hold on to that. Dump it out. Dump it out. There we go. There we go. Who did Elijah feed first? 
He fed Jehovah. It actually says that Jehovah, God, comes down and laps it up. This is actually a meal for God. To feed God first, just like the widow was asked to do, to feed the prophet first. You can't do that. You feed God first in your life, and you'll find that you will never lack. When does your whistling stop? So let's look at level one difficulties, the Oz Sharks. Wait, you, you, wait a minute, four entire barrels? Hey, I, I picture this servant as being one where Elijah says, you, you help him. And so the, the, the servant is even, he, as he's picking up the barrel and the water's sloshing in there, he's, he's almost wanting to stick his face in and drink it. He's like, no, this is for Jehovah. Give it to Jehovah, don't stick your face in it. You give it to Jehovah, pour it out, pour it out, pour it out, pour it out. Level two difficulties. Excuse me? Did I hear you correctly? Four more? Uh, level three difficulties, the wowzers. Uh, is this guy loony? Four more? And then level four difficulties, the Omaha beaches. What do you mean fill in the trench? This is the last remaining water in all the land. How you doing right now? How you doing? You see, most of us, when we, when we think about this scene, we're not thinking about the water. We just think that he is amping up the difficulty of God consuming it with fire. Like if it's doused with water, it'll be harder to consume. We don't recognize and we forget that this is in a drought. And we forget how valuable that water is. And we forget that there was no water left in Israel. And so we're collecting it all together and then we're dumping it out for Jehovah. And guess what? God does respond with fire, which is quite a statement. Who wants to call down fire in the middle of a drought? You ever thought about that one too? This is the wrong idea. You know, how about call down water in a drought, but instead call down fire in a drought as the signal that God is there? So you guys do know what happens as a result of this, right? God does show himself. He does lap it up. He eats up that meal. But then... He is going to give so much rain that it is flood conditions. It is such a super abundance of supply that is going to come as a result of giving to God what is due God. And so in each of our lives, I want us to recognize the face of Elijah in this situation. As he mocks the prophets of Baal, as he gathers all the water together, as he dumps it out, what's he doing? You can almost see him you know, skipping back and forth and whistling. It's like, oh, it's going to be so nice having all that water back in Israel. He knows. He knows. He, you know, he knew that God was bringing back the rain. He knew. That's why he was doing all this. God told him. God told him to stop the rain. God told him to bring it back. Does he have anything to fear? When you go to the brook Kareth, do you actually think God's not going to supply for you there? And if it begins to run dry, do you not think that he has another solution for you? And when he brings you to the widow Zarephath, I know she doesn't look like she has a lot. But if God has commanded her to supply for you, you can trust that he will. And yes, even when that son breathes his last, if that is significant that this boy lives, even if never in all of scripture have you ever seen someone rise from the dead, you don't have anything to fear. Just keep whistling. And then when all those barrels are dumped out and all the water in the land is now officially gone, no worries. Just look over at Elijah. He's whistling. Oh, it's going to be nice. Oh, it's going to feel good when the rain finally comes again. 
Praise God that this season has come to an end. Yeah, it's come to an end. For most of us, we're thinking it's the end of life. When in actuality, the end of life in the kingdom of heaven is usually resurrection morning. In other words, it leads to something greater if we're willing to give up what we have. The whistling is never meant to stop. So, I guess for all of us, just a fresh analysis of what's going on in our soul to say, all right, we know that God is able. We know that God is good. We do. But do we know that we know that we know that we know? Do we know that we know that we know that we know? That God is faithful. That God, though your brook may be drying up in one place in your life, that God knows your circumstances. That God is intimately familiar, in fact, more familiar than you are with your circumstances. Isn't that an amazing thought? I've had that thought many times. God, I, I think I need to remind you of what I'm going through right now because it seems like you've forgotten. When in actuality, God knows my circumstances better than I do. He knows the intimate details of my life and my needs better than I do. And that's where the statement like he knows the hairs on my head comes from because I don't even know how many hairs on my head I have, but he does. Which means he knows details about my life beyond what I know. That's an important thing for you to hold on to because when you're at the brook Kareth and your brook dries up, and the ravens suddenly stop bringing their food, there could be a panic. Because it could seem like God has failed you, but he knows your circumstances better. And the, the word of the Lord will come, and he'll show you the next step. And the next step might be the widow, which at first doesn't seem like a really good idea. And yet God knows. God knows precisely what you need in your life. If we were the ones choosing we would not have prayed to have rain stop in Israel in the first place. If we were the ones choosing, we would never have chosen to be fed by ravens. Believe me, it would have never been in our list of options. If we were choosing, we would have not picked the widow at Zarephath. If we were choosing, that son would have never lost that breath to start with so that we would have to put it back in him. Okay, we could have done this stuff with a lot less drama. We did not need to have all this stuff going on, have all this dust flying. We would have kept it all stable, and we could have whistled the whole time. But God wants to teach us how to walk through these things the way Elijah walked through them. I mean, it's just a couple chapters in the Bible, and I tell you, uh, what, those are two amazing chapters in the Bible where one thing after the next is impossible, and Elijah just faces it with such a stability of soul. Now, it's very possible if we were to zoom in and see Elijah that he would be more like us in the process going, excuse me, God, what's going on here? Okay, but we don't see that dimension. What we see is sort of the Christ model of him walking through it. We see the end result, and it's pretty impressive. So, I invite you into the whistling. Not just the whistling when things are easy, but the whistling throughout First Kings 17 and chapter 18. I want us to whistle in the first Kings chapter 17 and 18 in our lives. When we are challenged to go places and to do things that are actually impossible. That cannot be done any other way but by God supplying. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. One way that we could translate it today is, 
go up, start whistling, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. What's funny is the story continues right here. It's like dot, 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 to be continued. Because you know what happens next? He says, I hear the abundance of rain. Go start whistling. And Elijah's even whistling. But guess what? There's no rain in the sky. There's nothing happening. Not even a cloud. So how are you doing now? And then it stops. The movie stops. The credits come up. And you see the servant. And he's like, huh. You know, it zooms in on your face. And it's the quizzical wonder. Are you going to whistle? And maybe at the very last, even when the, the credits are going up, it comes back onto the screen. And it shows you. And then a smile creases your face. And you whistle knowing that even though it's a cloudless sky, you have heard the promise. The rain is returning. Whistle. See, can't you just see that? Credits then come back on. And maybe there's another uh, later scene where you're doing something else. Uh, it's like a crazy scene. And, and then it goes to black and the movie's over. But uh, there still could be a follow-up. We still could do a, a second edition on all that follows because there's some good stuff that's going to follow. right? But this is the beginnings of something in your life. You are being prepared for something that is going to demand a whistling soul. There is no more profound picture of the kingdom of heaven on this earth than to go through these trials with joy. So, let's do it. Father, we ask that you would make us mighty whistlers. Lord, that our circumstances at present, whatever they be, and you know them, Lord. You know the challenges we face. You know the brook Kareth that we are at, or you know the widow's house that we have come to. Lord, you know the impossibilities that face us. And Lord, you, you know the propensity that there is within us to diminish, to lessen the realities and the power of God in our life. And to not realize that you are able, though we know you are. Lord, may we whistle this morning unlike we've ever whistled. We love you and we trust you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.